Welcome to episode number 56, Repentance. It's a process. I'm your host, Damon Soka, and today we're going to discuss the processes of repentance within the context of serious mental illness. Now, I've been a member of the church all of my life, meaning that I was baptized at eight years old. As far as my parents, my father is a convert to the church from his late teens, and my mother comes from a long line of pioneers stretching back into Nauvoo, Illinois, and Kirtland, Ohio. Now, I state this because it's important to the topic. There's probably no word more used in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, besides the Savior's names, than the word repentance. If you grow up in the Church, or even a convert, you are exposed to it and its meanings again and again. As with most concepts within the Church and the doctrine, repentance can mean a variety of things to different members based on their experiences with it and their understanding of its purposes. Now, I think the meaning of repentance probably grows as we do. At first, it might seem more of a behavioral modification process, with some help from a loving Savior, similar to the idea that you have done something wrong and you need to say you're sorry to those you hurt and the Savior and modify the behavior so it doesn't happen again. And that's that type of process. This is especially true for early concepts of repentance, where we do not always understand things such as faith, motivation, and change of nature. Somewhere in the process of growing into repentance as a doctrine, we move from a behavioral modification process to a change of heart process, or what might be referred to as a change of nature or our motivations. This, of course, requires a couple of important high-level thinking skills. The first is that we're able to self-examine our motivations and understand what is driving the behaviors. And second, we are able to formulate a plan, along with the Savior, to correct the source of the behavior and overcome the chemical habits that may have been formed by the repetitive behavior, and then stick to the plan. Repentance then moves from changing our outward behavior to changing our inward soul, which in turn alters the outward behavior. This type of change requires far more help from a Savior than does behavior modification, as not only does the sin need to be rectified, but a change in nature needs to occur. Now, the required change in nature will require two important concepts to be understood. The first is what is called grace in the scriptures, and the second, a demonstration of willingness to obey. For repentance to take its full sway in our hearts and minds, the motivation that caused the sinful behavior must be changed or removed and replaced by a corrected what we might call purified motivation. It is not sufficient repentance to simply have a behavioral change. change. The change in motivation or the change in behavior must move from earthly to heavenly and acknowledge divine principles and natures associated with such celestial life. Now, let's take, for instance, the word of wisdom. It requires that we abstain from certain habit-forming and damaging substances. In addition, it requires that we live a more healthy lifestyle, balancing our diets and limiting excesses. Now, there exist many good, healthy reasons to adapt our lives to the word of wisdom. Longer life, less illness, more adept mind, better control over our body and mind, and probably several others. If our repentance is in essence changing our behavior to live a longer life, then we will likely be repaid by a longer life. However, this type of behavioral change is not of a celestial nature. 
It is more of a terrestrial in its design. True repentance requires acknowledgement that the word of wisdom is more than a behavior. It is a divine command, not simply a health plan. True repentance acknowledges the divine nature of the command and repents of rebellion in the sense of a lack of obedience and asks for a change in our nature to be obedient to the principle as a divine law. The more terrestrial change in behavior certainly provides the healthier outcomes, but does not necessarily recognize the law as divine. There is a change of behavior for both types of repentance, but the divine repentance and ultimate change of nature will be celestial and not terrestrial in its change. True repentance changes the heart, mind, and soul in divine ways so that obedience becomes natural to the, to the person or individual. Terrestrial repentance does not change necessarily change the nature of the person, but uses a physical outcome of longer life as a motivational change. The greater truth is that the truer type of celestial repentance recognizes the divine nature of the law, but terrestrial repentance only recognizes an outward physical benefit. Now, as stated previously, a change in nature brought about by acknowledging the divine has two components— The first is a healing or purifying of the soul, so that the change in the soul remains and causes a change of behavior. Now this comes directly from the outflows of the atonement of Jesus Christ as a gift. We are not generally able to make this purification change on our own. Because it is a gift, and it is something that we cannot do on our own, it is known as grace in the scriptures, or the enabling and nobling power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. The second component we need to have is a demonstration that we are willing to be obedient to the commandment until the change of nature comes about in our souls. Now, this simply means that we will modify our behavior as a sign of our desire to make the change permanent. Now, the length of time we need to modify our behavior before a change of of nature happens in a demonstration of willingness is generally up to the Lord and can be as short as a few minutes or as long as a lifetime. However long we are required to demonstrate obedience and faith, we will be tested and tried as to what we really truly desire. Now once the Lord is satisfied with our sacrifice of obedience, He will then allow the change of heart to occur. Now this change of heart can be a slow, slowly maturing change, imperceptible over time, or even a quick change, as noted by the people of King Benjamin, who stated that they need, that they no more desired to do evil after they had prayed. Now, while we have no record of it, I'm assuming it's likely that these people had been preparing for that moment for probably most of their lives. Uh, now to my story of understanding repentance and the difficulties caused by a mental illness. During my teens and early 20s, and even into my 30s, I experienced what most would call a moderate to severe bipolar 2 disorder. In short, this means that my emotional state would cycle rapidly between serious depression to moderate highs. Now, when I mean my emotional state, I'm talking about my own... What I'm talking about is my what I feel and experience based on environmental conditions, internal perceptions, and my own physical chemistry controlling my emotional responses. Now, I would cycle from a serious lack of energy, desire, serious doubt, pain, and spiritual darkness in my depression to mania, 
where everything is right, you have too much energy, far too much confidence, and your mind just simply doesn't turn off. Now, that's a very basic description, but it's sufficient to understand how this would affect my perception and application of repentance based on what we just talked about. When I was first introduced to repentance very young and began to understand the process, both in theory and practice as I grew, I generally viewed it as a behavior modification, meaning that I needed to change my behaviors to better match celestial behavior. I was not fully aware of the idea of a change of nature or change of heart, although the concept definitely was taught to me. I was, to say, baffled a little by the change of nature when it was taught to me because of mental illness. In my teenage and early 20s, I had already begun to disassociate my feelings and my motivations and from my behavior. Now, realize we can never fully disassociate our feelings and behavior because that's simply the way we're built as human beings. We drift towards what we feel is right what we and what we feel that we want to do. However, for me to function within the church society, within the world's social complex, I realized that I would need to mask my emotions and imitate those around me to be more fully integrated into the societies and cultures of which I was a part. Now, I've spoken about masking several times in my podcasts. It is an art form of behavior modification where the actions of a person do not match the emotional motivation or state of mind. Rather, they mimic what a normal person would do given the current circumstances. Now, most people with mental illnesses do this as a natural consequence of living, of having the mental illness and living in a world where we have to be able to socialize and communicate with human beings who do not understand our illness or in situations where our illness would cause us serious outward consequences. Now, for instance, while I attended college, I had to write papers, attend classes, be active and social in my classes and even church callings to a point so that I could function within the college and church atmosphere I was in and eventually, obviously, attain my degree. There were many times that I had no desire to do anything remotely college-like in nature or even church-like in nature. Well, I, well, I actually, except for sleeping. But I knew that if I did not at least put forth some effort, I was likely to see serious consequences, such as failing a class or several of them. So I spent most of my college years and many thereafter, masking my true emotional state. Now, this masking behavior became so common in my life that I had begun, that I did begin to disassociate my inner motivations with my outward actions, as much as physically and mentally possible. Society, my family, and many others were simply not going to accept me if I allowed my inner motivations to control all of my outward appearance. I really wouldn't have been a person somebody would like to have been around. Now, there is something very important to note about masking regarding the disassociation of motivation to behavior and what we talked about as repentance as a concept and change of heart. Now, I don't think that it's difficult to see why I tended towards more of an outward behavior modification rather than an inward change. First of all, I was already modifying my outward behavior through masking. And so adding a religious twist is, was really not that difficult. Looking like you're doing well in church is really not that difficult if you have a good understanding of the doctrine and can speak reasonably well. Second, I rarely, if ever, understood my own personal motivation for action. 
After all, I suppressed that motivation on a regular basis. In addition, my motivations did not have any rhyme or reason about them. They ebbed and flowed without too much input on my part, and I didn't seem to be able to control them in any sense of the word. I didn't know who I was without the illness, and so I had difficulty even looking for what motivations to change. For me, an evaluation of where I stood with my natural desires and whether they were celestial or not was almost impossible. Besides never fully understanding this true nature, I even had great difficulties understanding what the Spirit of the Lord was telling me. Now, I've detailed these spiritual communication difficulties several times in my other podcasts. I really did not possess the ability to repent in the change of nature, change of heart manner. I also did not have the ability to evaluate if the changes had even occurred or not. So for me, traditional repentance methods of viewing the needed change of nature or motivational source and then working through the repentance process did not and really could not exist. My emotional state and body chemistry did not allow for that to occur, at least in the sense of a personal identification and acknowledgement of what change of nature would take place. Now, this doesn't mean that the Savior was not working behind the scenes and that he wasn't using my mental illness as part of my change process. What it means is that when a mentally ill person comes to the idea of repentance, it is going to be extremely difficult for them to fully understand and grasp the idea of a change of nature in the soul. There is no real way to identify one's true nature through those murky waters of mental illness raging throughout the soul. Without any way to identify the need, repentance really just isn't possible in the traditional change of heart sense. Meaning that for those of us who suffer, repentance is going to have to take on a different meaning and pathway. Now this pathway will include the mental illness itself as part of the refining process. The Lord's understanding of the illness and our own personal true nature is also very important. The Lord fully understands the difficulties associated with repentance and mental illness. It is not new to him. He fully comprehends that cyclone of altered chemistry, emotional states, and motivations that accompany mental illnesses. He knows that we are unable to recognize our true nature or our identities because of that confluence of an illness and motivations. So thus he takes charge of the needed changes within us as we allow it. We simply need to ask that he will do so, and then we need to let him do so. Now, second, the way that he most often does this is to use our mental illness as a method of teaching the soul valuable principles of love, compassion, devotion, obedience, beyond our normal desires, and a host of other related virtues. We should not fret about the idea that we really don't know our true selves. The Lord does know us, and he will make the necessary changes as we accept the trials in our lives and learn from them. What is important to understand is that the repentance process for those of us who suffer with mental illness may look very different from one who does not suffer, and it was never the Lord's intent to make them do so, basically fitting a square peg into a round hole, as it were. Repentance, for those who suffer, is likely to take on the persona of the willing and obedient servant, willing to submit to all things that the Lord sees fit to place upon us. Now, for me, this was enlightening. This didn't mean that I didn't 
ask to understand what I needed to change or where I stood with the Lord, what this meant was that I was going to have to willingly submit to my trial and allow the Lord's grace to make the necessary changes in me that were and are necessary for me to return to him. However, just because I couldn't fully feel or understand my natural motivational state did not mean that I had full permission to overtly disobey commandments that I knew were wrong. The Lord still expected of me that I follow commandments as best I knew them and could understand them rationally and continue to modify my outward behavior as a sign of my willingness. Now, certainly, my understanding, again, was more rational and intuitive than motivated by my true nature at times, but even then, the Lord found ways of letting me know what was right and wrong. I was expected to work through the obedience part of the repentance process as best that I could, and the Lord would provide then the necessary grace, training, and change that I needed, both through the illness and simply by gift of the atonement of Jesus Christ, which is grace. I will admit that working to be obedient while in the midst of depression, anxiety, or bipolar issues is and often can be very overwhelming. This is one of the major problems with the disease. You're going to spend a great deal of time fighting your emotional and motivational states just to keep your head above water, much less feel like you're swimming in the right direction. You're likely going to fail on a regular basis as well. Now, remember that the Lord fully, and I mean fully, understands your capacity and conditions, and he will be quick to forgive if you get back up from the fall and keep fighting to swim in the right direction. Now, the process of repentance may look different for those of us who suffer, but I fully believe that the outcome will be the same as for those who do not suffer. We will each arrive at the same celestial point, just in a very different manner, and by differing repentance methods. However, learning to accept the illness as part of the method of training and understanding that you don't have to fully recognize your true nature for the Lord to give the necessary grace is important. What is important is that you keep working and trying and asking for the Lord's help in the process of change. Even if you can't see that change in nature and may not see it until the other side of the veil, I promise you that the changes are occurring in your heart and mind. Now, may the Lord bless you in your efforts to keep fighting so that he can do his part.